Hey, Robert. Hey, Ron. Hey. So last week we started talking about uh, this book that we both read and really enjoyed called Chip War uh, about the semiconductor industry and the uh, the really cre really the creation of the semiconductor industry. That that's part of what the book is about. It's about how this industry was created, and I think that just that those early days and the story of how semiconductors were um first developed and then uh, mass produced and then became specialized and then became super specialized and it is a great is a great story about ingenuism it's a great story about uh markets ingenuity uh connection and 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 all of that right uh, absolutely i mean if if you want the most important story of the 21st century, it starts in the 20th century at Bell Labs with the invention of the transistor. And you know, anyone who's interested in the very early years, uh, Chip Wars is not that book. Uh, yep. It's about chips, not transistors. There's a book about Bell Labs called The Idea Factory. That's an excellent book that we we talked about. Don and I talked about uh, a year and a half, two years ago, and. That's definitely worth reading, but what's interesting about Chip Wars is it takes you past the beginning, that initial invention and rapid growth of, um, of capabilities inside of semiconductors to you know, have transistors work better and to put transistors onto an integrated chip. Those are all huge advancements. Uh, and then it just became Moore's Law. And Chip Wars is really about Moore's Law. And everyone probably knows what Moore's Law is, but it's basically the idea that the number of transistors on a chip will double every 18 to 24 months. Uh, and if you understand exponential growth, you, you say, well, that can't go on forever. And you know, in, a, in a literal <laughs> sense, it can't. <laughs> Uh, forever is a long time though, and none of us um, will be alive when forever rolls around. So it's really the way to think about it is in our lifetime that that could happen. And people have been saying it won't for, gosh, the first time I heard that was in the 90s. Yeah, three uh, decades now. And, and it still is. And there's no reason to stop, think it'll stop in the, the 2020s. And there's been a lot of innovation and it's very similar to in a lot of ways, the invention of the original transistor, where there was a lot of experimentation, the original transistor was a point contact transistor. It had little prongs sticking into the silicon, and then Shockley invented the junction transistor, which made integrated circuits possible. Um, and, and then we just were off to the races, but there was a lot of experimentation to make it actually happen. You know, Shockley was a theorist, and he had, he had the idea of why the junction transistor would work, but then you had to make it actually work and then make it smaller and smaller and smaller. So a lot of experimentation, a lot of failure, a lot of learning, and a single company, you know, a company like Intel could do the whole process from the design to the figuring out actually how to make it work to the mass production in, in an economic scale. And then we got to something else. And Ship Wars is a lot about the something else. And it's a, a side of ingenuism that you know, I and I think we have really not thought about as much is what happens when the knowledge gets so complex that it's impossible for one person or one small group or maybe even one large group to actually manage all of it and continue to advance it. Uh, what happens at that point where connection doesn't just become a benefit, which has always been our position, but it becomes a necessity. 
And it's 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 interesting. It's there's a there's something about economies of scope or diseconomies of scope. That is, there's there's a point in which trying to do everything in-house probably becomes impossible or really, really hard. And Intel, I think, discovered that and and but discovered it a little late and lost a huge amount of competitive advantage as a consequence. But I was just reading an article about Apple. And Apple seems to be going in the other direction in, in some regards. In a sense, it's going back to its roots. In a sense, it's going in the other direction. So today, you know, we have a we have an iPhone. Or, or let's say the first iPhone. The first iPhone, Apple basically designed the iPhone. But the chip was made in one place, and the communication chip was made in another place, and the glass was made in another place. And everything was made, and not just another place, other companies in other countries were making it. And what's been interesting about Apple um, is that over the last decade and a half, they've been bringing everything in-house. That is, today, Apple designs the chip, and uh, it's it's just about probably the, the next iPhone will have a communication chip designed by Apple. And uh, now I, I just read a story about Apple is actually building the glass that's going to be in the in the Apple Watch and in the iPhone and the iPad, ultimately. So the glass is going to be Apple designed. And I'm you know, just me thinking aloud. I wonder. I wonder if Apple can cope. That is, I, I wonder if this—the idea of this bringing everything in house—is going to be ultimately undermine Apple. So far, they pulled everything off, so you, it's hard to argue against anything they do. But uh, it, with chips, it certainly has fragmented. Everything is everything is being devolved. So that you know, the, you've got hundreds and hundreds of companies doing different pieces in order to ultimately get that chip coming out of TCM, TCMC, TSMC. Okay, I always get these wrong. TSMC. But, but you, you make a great point because, you know, the iPhone is, is very complex, um, but its rate of advancement isn't like Moore's Law. Yeah. New model comes out every 18 to 24 months, but the differences are fairly small. It's not a doubling of, of capabilities. Mm -hmm. And I think that... It points to exactly the, the where you could and where you, you where you might be able to and where you, you won't be able to do everything yourself uh, in the sense of designing the chip. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a core capability. Uh, Apple's strength is design. Yep. Uh, in terms of manufacturing the glass, I don't know so much. Uh, I don't think they'll manufacture the glass, but they're certainly designing the glass and manufacturing the first pieces of glass and then the, the Theory is they'll outsource the mass production of the glass. But yeah. it is interesting, Apple Glass, who would have thunk? But I guess glass has become smart. Uh, glass has become, ever since fiber optics became a thing, glass became part of the modern world, which is you know funny. Originally, glass had two uses, either a window yeah. or a, a cup. Uh, and now it's become an integral part of all communications. And I think that if Apple were to try to integrate around semiconductors, it would be a complete disaster. I mean, it would obviously be a complete disaster yeah. because you have to you have to buy something, whether you're buying the manufacturing equipment or you're buying the wafers or you're buying the the actual uh, fabrication of the chips. There's something that you're buying, and if you try to do all of that, you come back to sort of the point of our, our talk today, which is, yeah, Apple actually could do it. Uh, Intel did it for a while. Apple would probably be the best position because they have so much money and, and so much resources. 
But what Apple could do with its resources and its people is, is just going to pale compared to what the planet can do. So connection yeah. becomes necessary, not, necess not absolutely in to accomplish something, but to accomplish what we now take for granted. It becomes necessary to connect people all over the world because you have to have the very best glass and you have to have the very best mirrors and you have to have the very best lasers and you have to have the very purest silicon and the best masks and the, it just goes on and on and on and on and at each level um you know it was really interesting to learn about how complex semiconductor manufacturing equipment has become because the original equipment it was miraculous but it wasn't that complex it was a lens and a light <laughs> and but even there it was interesting how Every step of the evolution. First of all, it was interesting how Shockley had this invention. He started his own company, wasn't a good manager. And from, but from that one company, an entire industry sprung out and all these veterans went and they started different companies and then TI separately competed with them. And they kept innovating and kept learning from their competitors and kept improving. And then what was good about the book is it wasn't just about kind of the engineering of the chip. It was about the manufacturing process. It turns out that a big issue is not the science always, but it's, okay, how do you apply the science? How do you actually literally manufacture? How do you do it efficiently? The, the, the big thing about, you know, he talked about the Japanese competing in the 1980s and how they could do it so much more efficiently and with so many fewer flaws. So a few uh, uh, chips that they had to throw away, microprocessors, and that's how they dominated the industry for a while. That was the first kind of a challenge to Intel when Intel didn't do well and then Intel had to completely rechange its uh, its business model. I mean, that what was so interesting about the book was that he covered all this dynamic. He did it. I mean, the book is well-written and he covers it. And, and all of it happened like that. I mean, in my lifetime, less than my lifetime, we've seen all of this. We've seen Intel go up and down a few times. We've seen Japan go up crash china go up maybe not maybe crash taiwan go up and not crash i mean we've seen these changes so fast uh, in the in the context of and it's it's a testament to ingen ingenuism it's a testament to human ingenuity it's it truly is a a beautiful thing and we i think even i most of us take it for granted right we 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 turn on our products that have chips in it and we don't think twice about it and I just, I think about our kids, they're not even going to know what a blue screen is. They know everything just works always that it works basically forever until it's obsolete. But, you know, this gets to the point of, you know, when the first transistors were created uh, at Bell Labs, they, Bell Labs was hoarding the applications for communications, but they yep. basically licensed the patent out for something ridiculous, like a thousand dollars. Uh, to anyone who wanted to use it for another purpose. Uh, and so that, that allowed the ideas to diffuse very quickly. And first it was in the United States, partly that was because of timing, um, but it, it, it very quickly went to around the world where different people were making things at different levels of the semiconductor fabrication process all around the world, um, but still aiming to be an integrated manufacturer. Uh, we've gotten to a point where if you want to get into the semiconductor value chain, you don't try, well, unless you're China, you don't try and do the whole thing, even though the recipe is out there. Yep. 
to pick a particular spot. And most people pick design. And that's why TSMC is so important and has been so successful is because they are the leader when someone comes up with a novel design. They basically think first, go to TSMC for fabrication. Um, well, and the only that, people competing with them is Samsung. And, you know, uh, uh, so it's, it's almost all in that part of Asia. And then Intel is going to try to catch up. But that's it uh, in terms of that. So it turns out that fabrication, it needs economies of scale, but that every every element that feeds that fabrication, design, equipment, you know, all of that. So design can be fragmented. I guess equipment is very um, concentrated. There's basically one firm that does one machine and then a bunch of others that do other machines. So it's kind of interesting how the business has separated itself it tells you something about what what benefits from scale and what doesn't and you have you have the feeding into tsmc and i'm taking nothing away from tsmc uh but their movement into higher density and higher density semiconductors has been driven by the semiconductor manufacturing equipment industry yes uh they're not inventing new tools they're taking those tools and then doing the absolute best to do high volume manufacturing, which is a whole different skill set. Uh, but you have to connect into this. If you try and do it all yourself, then you're, you know, even if you have the resources of an Apple or of a China, then your, your particular process is only going to be as good as your weakest link. And that, that's a, a severe problem when you have such a complex process with so many links. And so today, the idea is you get the best from all over the planet, and that can change and evolve and grow. And so it's more about collaboration mm -hmm. than it is about knowledge diffusion. The knowledge is very concentrated. The, the manufacturing equipment is concentrated in uh, what, what Scandinavian country, in Denmark or something? No, it's, it's in all in Holland. It's all in, uh, oh. in the Netherlands, ASML. Uh, but but of course again you know the the lenses it's Germany because Germans have been making lenses for cameras for over a hundred years and and you, you move from place to place I think it's California for lasers yeah they bought um, the company in Southern California that makes the lasers and so that that's it. at each stage you also have this tree that goes below it so you've got the tree sort of below TSMC and then each one of those has their own even in design. You know, nobody writes their own software to design their chips. Apple isn't writing their own software no, to design their I new chips. Three design softwares for chip, all Americans. EDA um, software companies. And if you don't, you know, you, you might use one or two or three. But if you don't have that, you can't design a modern chip. You could, you know, you're basically starting back with where Fairchild was. And so this, this idea of collaboration is a completely different animal. And when it's... Mm -hmm when the knowledge is concentrated, but concentrated in different places around the world, then you can't get the benefits of the best practices and the best technology unless you have collaboration. And that takes something that's, that's quite different. I mean, connection mm -hmm. is a, a part of it, but you have to have uh, the other, the, basically what we call the tenets of ingenuism, which we don't talk about very much, but now suddenly realizing maybe they're even more important, which is trust and, and I call it humility. You don't like that as much, but the willingness to say, 
if you're Apple, even though you're incredibly good at things to say, you know, we're not good at this and we're yep. going to let someone else do it. And then you have to be able to trust that supplier, that partner. And, and, and trust is really interesting in this context because that brings us really to kind of the geopolitical issue that arises. And I think that's where trust makes it. And that is, um, you know, China and China's relationship with the rest of the world and China's ongoing threat to Taiwan, where TCMC is, TSMC is. Um, and, uh, and of course, how do you how are you going to gain that trust when you're threatening an island that you're going to occupy it, but you also want to buy their products and you want to buy very sophisticated products. But beyond that, there's the issue, which I which I think complicates all of this and makes it a real geopolitical mess. And that is that these chips are not benign. They're not just a product that gets into televisions and we consumer products and stuff. But as particularly we're seeing, you know, we can see in Ukraine and we can see in warfare whenever it's practiced, uh, these chips uh, are used in, 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 in weapons and they're the difference maker. They make all the difference. I mean, I, I really liked the section in the book, Chip War, where he talked about the 91 um, war in Iraq, where uh, for the first time the world realized that the United States military was like, at least a decade ahead of everybody else because they had actually integrated chips into weapon systems, into missiles, whereas the rest of the world had not. And particularly China and Russia, this was a real blow to them. Uh, they might have had uh, um, more tanks and more weapon systems, but they weren't smart. And America, the U.S. suddenly had smart weapons. Um, so that's the, in, that's the challenge. So you're, you're, you're threatening Taiwan. You're going to have to use their chips and the weapons that blow them up. <laughs> Are they going to just sit quietly and say, oh, no, we trust you. We'll, sell it. we'll send you those chips to blow us up that you want to blow us up with. And then after they blow them up, what happens? And, the whole thing is, yeah. It's fascinating. And, you know, the title of the book, Chip Wars, is a double entendre because there's the trade part that people think about. But a lot of the book is about military applications for chips and how those applications financed a big part of the progress that now drives computing and consumer electronics that, that we wouldn't be where we are, except for the fact that there was this massive demand from the military that now is, is sort of a sideshow when it comes to volumes. Um, but now we have the, the second level of war, which is the, the national you know, if you think about trust, you, you can trust yourself, you can trust your, your partner, you can trust your family, you can trust your village, you can trust your community, you can trust your nation, you can trust your... Once you get to nation, you start, you know, things start breaking down. I mean, look at trust in Congress, look at trust in Senate. Once you get to politics, already trust is breaking down, never mind trusting the other guy's politician. No, 100%. And each time yeah. it gets bigger, it gets harder to... Yep build this kind of trust. And, and arguably, a lot of these groups, these larger groups, like nations exist, or European Union, as opposed oh, yeah. to nations, exist to create trust where it wasn't there before, to facilitate trust. Um, and, and so ideally, if you're thinking about ingenuism, both from a knowledge perspective, but also from and actually getting things done on a collaborative sense, mm -hmm. you have to have global trust, like a, a global community of trust, which most people think of, oh, well, we need a global government. But then you think about how little we trust our own government. Uh, maybe that's not the solution. 
But if there isn't a solution, then we're always going to be below our potential. And so when China looks at this, I think they're right when they say, okay, well, we can't integrate with the, all of these other people because we don't trust them. So we need to do everything ourselves. What they're wrong about is whether that will ever actually yeah. catch up with the rest of the world. If you have one seventh of the world's people, you are going to always be behind, no matter how smart, how hard you work, how focused you are on it. The, the larger the community that is attacking a particular problem, assuming that there's trust, freedom, and humility, that the larger that community is, the faster it's going to progress. But I, I think here the challenge is more complex. For, you know, I'm not defending China, but what the hell? Um, it's it's it also goes the other way, right? Because China was not insisting on developing everything internally, but you know, over the last certainly since Trump, but but now with Biden, uh, the West has basically said, you're not you know now you're not getting the most advanced manufacturing, you're not getting the most advanced chips, you're not getting the most advanced anything. Um, and China is in a position where they have two options, I think, and they've chosen the wrong one, I think, but they have two options. One, they could really work hard to regain the trust of the West and, and reintegrate themselves into the supply chain, if you will, and, and get collaboration and, and, and get all that. Or they can try to design it all themselves and do it all themselves. And I think they've chosen for now to do it all themselves. And you're absolutely right. That's impossible. They, they, you know, they, they'll never catch up. Um, it would be... I think a global revolution in a sense of goodness, right? If China chose the other path. I mean, imagine a China that was committed to gaining trust and to building that trust, a China that said, you know what? You know, we're, we're never, you know, if we ever you unite with Taiwan, it'll be peacefully, but we're never going to invade Taiwan. And we're, we're committed to global rules of, of uh, you know, trade and, and whatever. Um, like, wow. I mean, the explosion of economic growth, I think, that the world would see would be because you're right. I mean, so much. I think we're focused on chips. But if we extrapolate on that on other industries, it's less so in other industries. But I think still true, the trust and collaboration, you know, are, are, are the engine that drives everything. And if 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 we could get more of that, economic growth would just explode globally. I think that would be huge. I mean, we've seen even in the most basic industries with uh, Russia invading Ukraine that it that when you take parts of the world out of the global economy, it has impacts that ripple through to almost everywhere. Yep. Uh, and China is is bigger and more important, and and we was more integrated. And I think you make a really good point that you know, we're not here to blame China. Uh, I certainly believe that they could do more to build trust, but it is a two-way street and it is no one has been a shining example of trying no. to build trust. No, but there is a, an interesting, um, I saw an interesting story the other day about these, uh, you know, the, the drones that the Russians are using in the Ukraine war, they're buying them from Iran. So Iran is, is flying these drones. Iran has been under sanctions for many, many years. And yet, the drones that are being shot down over Ukraine or, or exploding over Ukraine are, um, have chips in them uh, designed and manufactured or at least designed in the United States. So they're getting, they're getting chips. Chips get through. Uh, chips are being smuggled into Iran one way or another. 
it, it's very hard to actually boycott these things uh, when when people are committed to to getting their hands on them. Uh, they're just they're very small. The value is very dense. Um, it's much easier to track oil tankers, and we can barely do that, if at all. Uh, to to think yep. that we can actually, without a, a formal blockade that lets nothing in, uh, and you're searching every everyone going through it. I mean, it's, but it is kind of crazy that in a war with whoever we fight a war, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, most of the world is going to be using uh, TSMC chips, no matter, you know, which side, the missiles are going to be have the same chips in them. And they're going to be and they're going to be using uh, software designed in the United States, even if they're bombing the United States. It It is it is really fascinating to see, um, in a sense, our geopolitics hasn't caught up to the beauty of uh, connection and ingenuism in the 21st century. That is, the world is amazingly connected. We're all using the same technology. We're all connected to one another. We're all uh, uh, collaborating in some way. There is collaboration going on in there, but the geopolitics is fighting that. And and the consequence is, you know, the, where they are bombing each other, they're bombing each other with basically the 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 tool, the products of that collaboration and that ingenuity. It's it's really it's we have to grow up. The world has to grow up, uh, catch up to our technology in a sense. I agree hundred percent. I mean, we have a global market, and uh, you know, a market is a phenomenal a way to build trust. Um, not you know blind trust, but trust with the, where it actually works and people are doing what they say they're going to do and getting what they want uh, and on both sides of transacting. That, that's an amazing thing. And we don't have that sort of global cooperation. It looked for a hot second like we were getting there in the 90s, maybe yep. early 2000s. Um, and sadly, the pendulum has swung back the other way. But I'm hopeful for what it's worth, hope is pretty worthless, but I'm hopeful that the, the lose-lose proposition of Russia's mm -hmm. invasion of Ukraine, it, it's, it's a lesson that sticks with politicians because I think we are in a world where, you know, outside of very small conflicts, uh, there are massive losses on both sides. And I'm not saying there aren't net losses in small conflicts, there definitely are. But you could imagine, you know, if a mugger steals your wallet, they're better off, you're worse off. Uh, that, that there might be some level beyond that, but it's at the, at the country level, when we start talking about wars, it's hard to imagine at this point. Um, and yet, <laughs> Russia invaded Ukraine and China is talking about taking back Taiwan and the United States is um, willing to meddle basically anywhere in the Mideast. Uh, we don't, I well, agree with the world, really. Yeah, we've, we learned nothing and, but, but hopefully, hopefully we, I mean, we do learn. It's just a, it's not a, uh, it's not exponential, like uh, chip making, it, it, it bounces around. It, I think things get better, but they get better with a lot of noise. All right. So I think next time we're going to talk some more about China. Uh, there's a there's an interesting article and actually an online book uh, that talks about China and uh, and central planning and the relationship between China's success and its attempts at central planning. So that that should be uh, that should be really interesting. And I, uh, so uh, looking forward to that. Thank you, Abit. Thanks, Ron. Talk soon. Yep. Bye.